0: Uh, well, this is a great passage uh, from God's Word, so let's pray that God's going to uh, speak to us this afternoon. A gracious Father, we thank you that you are so much more loving, more merciful, kinder and patient than we could imagine. In fact, there's so much in our imagination that's full of darkness and fear And yet you sent your son, our Lord Jesus Christ, to show us who you are face to face. And as we listen to your word, as you speak about this church, this first new beginning, we pray that you'll be speaking to us, speaking to us about what grace, what love, what mercy can really do in our lives and how the world needs to see people who are living differently, who are living out of grace, who are living out of mercy, who are living out of forgiveness and love. So we pray that your spirit will be at work in us today, challenging where we need to be challenging, confronting where we need to be confronting, comforting where we need to be comforted. But in every respect bringing us to Jesus. We pray this for his sake. Amen. So uh, we have been up here this weekend to do something for you in terms of helping you articulate the beginning of the process of mission, vision and values. I should say that it's not only Kathy and myself, it's also Andrew and it's also Vicky who came up here to help out as well. So here's a question as to a church that's wrestling with, uh, after seven years of existence, so how do we articulate what we should be on about? Now, as I said yesterday, we're a church of Jesus Christ, so it's not that we get to choose our own adventure. God has spoken. And one of the passages that he's spoken most clearly is this passage in Acts chapter 2. So I'm asking a question of this passage, and a little bit more than this passage, but this passage in particular, what creates a Christian community like we see in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47? That's the end section of what we had read out to us. Now, please understand I'm not looking for some sort of formula I don't think that's the way it works. I don't think it's we plug this in this end and all of a sudden what pops out the other end, you know, Bible study, prayer, you know, really good music. And what pops out the other end is a really great church. There's lots of churches that are doing that bit in this end. But we're not seeing that transformed community that is challenging the community that they live in. Now, of course, there's something exceptional about this passage. You know, this is the first church. I'm fully aware that the spirit of God was at work in this community in a new and different way to the way he'd been working ever since the creation of the world. But I'm asking... Is there something of what we see happening here? Is there something of a pattern that helps us understand what it might mean to become that sort of community, that sort of church? Yes, this is remarkable. Is it a one-off in some ways? Yes, But there are lessons that we can learn. There's challenges here of the way that God works and we need to pay attention because if there's anything that the world needs is it's a group of people who are showing that there's a radically different way to live and who are living out of grace, who are living out of forgiveness, who demonstrate that in the community lives that they share with one another. I'm just going to read to you again, just remind you of this extraordinary community. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. Uh, in this passage, we sort of get this picture of this community that is doing things so differently. And it's a little bit like a, a spiral curriculum. There's, there's bits that are there in the beginning and they repeat again when we come around again. This breaking of bread, this sharing of each other's lives, this, but they're devoted They're devoted to the apostles' teaching. Uh, They're devoted to fellowship. They're devoted to spending their lives with each other. And instead of having a sense of there is not enough resources in the world, we don't have enough resources, uh, uh, almost a sense of scarcity as they've experienced the overflowing fullness of God, there is an overflowing fullness of God that they're sharing with each other. What they have received, they're actually demonstrating to each other. So again, my question is, how does a community like this come about? Yes, God. Yes, the Holy Spirit. But what can we learn Well, certainly what we can learn right from the beginning is this isn't the uh, simple outcome of a seven-week discipleship series. That's not going to do it. What we're talking about is a fundamental reorientation of people's lives. And I think there is a pattern, a pattern that we see in the lives of these believers. I think there's a pattern that we see in the leaders of this community the apostles' teaching. We see that same pattern in the apostles' lives, in Peter, who is preaching the sermon. And it's a pattern that we also see in the life of Saul, who went from persecuting this church to become a preacher, a promoter, of not only the gospel but of the Jesus Christ and his people that he persecuted to create a community like this does not demand anything death defying it requires nothing less than death and resurrection nothing death defying it actually needs death and resurrection it needs a saviour Who does death and resurrection? And I believe it needs a people that enter into death and resurrection as well. So let me ask this question What sort of church do you want to be? Do you want to be big? Do you want to be successful? Do you want to be popular? Or do you want to be known for the quality of the lives that you live? For the amazing grace in your marriages, in your singleness, in your families. The grace that is demonstrated to each other. That it comes out of deep convictions that you have experienced and internalised. That while you're ordinary people, uh, God is doing something deep and profound in you. And again, how does that come about? Well, it's not death defying. It's embracing death and resurrection. So what is this gospel pattern that I think is present within the life of this church, in the life of the apostles, and the life of Paul. I want to be, sort of introduce that to you so that you see this pattern that is there. I'm going to read for you again the beginning of the passage that was read for us, verses 36 to 40. This is Peter speaking to these people. Listen to what he says, especially early on. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this... God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about three thousand were added to their number that day. There's some significant things that we're going to pick out a little bit later in that, but but you, you heard the emphasis there, isn't it? That you crucified, been cut to the heart. What shall we do? They're the people, but that pattern is repeated in the leaders. The leaders themselves are a people who experienced something very similar to that. Acts is the second volume of Luke's writing about what Jesus did. That's Luke. And Acts is about what Jesus did next. And in the first volume, we see the failure of Jesus' disciples. Judas betrays him and leads the soldiers to the Garden of Gethsemane at night so that Jesus is arrested. And then he commits suicide. The 10 disciples run away and hide out of fear. And the preacher of the sermon in Acts 2 at Pentecost, Peter himself, does a little bit better at first. He runs away and then he comes back to the courtyard where Jesus is going through a trial And then it all falls to pieces. He denies Jesus, his Lord, three times. Three days later, they're meeting upstairs. Their life is in shambles, literally shambles, the place of death. They are without hope. They have comprehensively failed their Lord. And suddenly Jesus appears among them. What do you think they're expecting him to say given what they had done? Let me tell you, I don't think it was what they heard. Because in the place of their abject failure, Jesus says, Peace be with you. Were their hearts full of anxiety and fear? Did all the mess of their lives come up and shame and self-condemnation threatened to overwhelm them? And suddenly the one who spoke in the storm and said, peace and be still, suddenly speaks again in the storm of their lives and says, peace be with you. They desperately needed to hear those words. From the lips of the Messiah, they failed. Their failure was obvious. It was undeniable. But the way they're treated is with grace and mercy. And then Paul the Apostle, just to make it all complete, also Acts, on the way to arrest the disciples of Jesus in Damascus, to take them to Jerusalem, to put them in prison to try and make them blaspheme the name of Jesus and then kill them. This one who has come to arrest is arrested himself on the road to Damascus and he meets, he's confronted with a bright light brighter than the sun and he hears these words, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's just got to go downhill from there, doesn't it? Who are you lord I think he's got an idea It is Jesus whom you're persecuting Paul who had such a commitment to a personal integrity and fulfilling all the law has found that fulfilling the law has actually brought him to the point where he's persecuting the lord of glory How badly can you get life wrong? Paul found that his zeal to be an obedient Jew was not enough. And this Lord actually invites him to be a partner in bringing in his kingdom throughout the world. What's the pattern? Transformation comes out of acknowledged failure. Transformation of our lives comes out of an undeniable acceptance of how sin has worked in our lives. That undeniable realization that we are guilty and worthy of judgment, but the one we have offended is the one who forgives and calls us to a new life this is not a complex message it's a hard one it's hard because it says something deeply about ourselves that we keep on trying to present a different picture to everybody else and sometimes that's particularly what goes on in church what about now uh, Michael Card, again, he's, a, he's maybe a Christian singer of another age, so uh, somebody who, uh, who I love. He's, he's writing some books now, not just songs. He's written a book called Inexpressible. Um, and he explores in this book just one Hebrew word, a Hebrew word that he sees right throughout the whole Bible, the Old and the New Testament. It's the word chesed. The book is called Inexpressible because that word, that single word is translated in so many different words because it's a word that is so full of meaning. It's so much bigger than just one word. In fact, it normally takes a couple of words that translators use to actually bring it into English. It's not just kindness, it's loving kindness. It's covenant faithfulness. It's loving faithfulness. And normally you'll be able to pick if that word is there in the Hebrews because there's normally a one, two or three words, grace and truth, that's used to try and uh, uh, make sense of it and bring out something of its fullness. But Michael Card says this is, goes some way to defining what this word chesed means hesed is when the person from whom i have the right to expect nothing gives me everything when the person from whom i have the right to expect nothing maybe accept judgment maybe accept death gives me everything. In one of his songs, I think he expresses it so well. And I think this is something of what that first group of people who heard the gospel being preached in Jerusalem would have experienced and what the apostles would have experienced and what Paul would have experienced to be so completely guilty, given over to despair, to look into your judge's face and see a saviour there. That's the love of God. That's truth and grace. That's not saying it doesn't matter what we do. That doesn't, that's not saying, yeah, sure, it was all inconvenient, but, you know, I'm a loving guy anyway, and I'm going to love you anyway. No, this is to look into your judge's face to be so completely guilty, given over to despair, to look into your judge's face and see a saviour there. There is the experience of the early church. That is the experience of the apostles. That's the experience of Paul. I think this church is going to be made up of people who at some level have experienced that, who have heard the good news, who have heard the gospel... Like I heard the gospel back in 1976 and went, hallelujah, this is it. But I want to suggest to you that part of what we need to wrestle with, if that has been our experience, is that sometimes when we hear the gospel, sometimes when we hear about the death and the resurrection of Jesus, we embrace it. Because we know that there our sins are forgiven in the cross and the resurrection of Jesus. And we say, this is the place that I want to put down roots. This is the place where change happens. And there's not a lot that does change in our lives. And I want to suggest to you that part of what we need to do is to re-enter... Into what that first church, those first disciples, the, the Paul the Apostle to the Gentiles experienced. You see, living between the cross and the resurrection, we live in the safest place on earth. There is nowhere safer. The past is secured in the cross of Jesus. We can live without regrets. The future is, is secure in the resurrection of Jesus. There is life that is promised for eternity. We live in the safest place on earth, but it seems to me that living in the safest place on earth, we are called to be unsafe in the safest place on earth. What I mean by that is this. Understanding our sins are forgiven, understanding that we live in grace and mercy There is an invitation to live unsafe lives as in the present we explore how sin has shaped our lives, how shame has shaped our lives, how fear has shaped our lives, how sin has impacted our marriages, our singleness, our parenting, our work, and to do that in the presence of other people who have experienced grace, whose own hearts have been cut, and to actually become a transforming community, to be unsafe in the place of ultimate safety. That's how we become a church like Acts 2. We actually need to be cut to the heart again. And it doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian, it doesn't matter whether you've been a Christian for two years, two weeks, two months, or something like I think I worked out what being converted in 76 was, but I've forgotten it, which is a part of old age as well. So it's lots. How do you do that now? Well, I want to tell you a little bit about myself. Uh, o told me he was going to interview me, but I'm going to tell you a little bit about myself now. I've been a Christian since 1976. Um, and when I was 14, I was sexually abused. And last year, towards the end, it felt like God was saying, it's time to deal with this. I had some pretty good help. Uh, And part of the help was learning to not bear inappropriate shame and responsibility for what had been done to me. Uh, It involved difficult things like writing a survivor impact statement. It actually involved uh, learning to forgive the person who did it. They're dead. They died years ago. But actually releasing releasing myself um, from having to punish them in some way. That was difficult, but then this was really difficult. I also set the task to owning up to the ways that I had responded to that event, to that shame to that thing that was done to me. The ways I'd worked out to survive the pain, the ways I worked out to try and make myself feel better, to soothe myself in ways that would somehow push the pain away for a little bit longer, And as I started looking at that, I realised just how much that had impacted my marriage with Kath. How much it's impacted my parenting. Couldn't blame that on And actually coming to grips with the fact that I couldn't blame that on that man. That's what I did. Patterns of behaviour that were deeply ingrained in who I had become. That invitation of God was an invitation to understand how sinful strategies had made me the person that God wanted to remake. It meant dying. It meant confessing those things. Confessing things to Kath. There are things that I need to confess to my kids. But it wasn't done in the isolation of a room by myself. It was done in community. It was actually done with other people like Kath who have been cut to the heart. Other people who shared the journey who also knew to understand how sin had worked in their lives as well. It's dying and it's resurrection. It's not death defying at all. It feels like you're walking into the valley of the shadow of death only because it is. It's dying to the old self. New communities that change the community outside them are built on real repentance and forgiveness. Dealing with shame... And believing that living between the cross and the resurrection, there actually is new life. And it's not just a private experience, it's one that's done in community. Because it changes the community and it changes our story. And it changes the trajectory of our story and it changes our marriages. And it changes our singleness. It changes everything about who we are because it goes to the very core and root of what is wrong with us and in the safest place on earth, in Jesus, we are called to take on some of the most unsafest things in our lives. A world-defying community, a life-affirming community, a Christ-honouring community... Grow out of a people who live in the safest place on earth, in Christ, who died and rose again for them. They are a people who understand that in the safest place on earth, in Christ, they they can confront their sin and their shame, their failures and their fears in the presence of others who have been cut to the heart and find healing and wholeness and holiness. And that happens when the leaders of a community enter into doing that. And that happens when people within a community do that as well. And my friends, that is anything but ordinary. That is anything but death-defying. But no church will be the same who practices that. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are the embodiment of hesed, of grace and truth. You are our judge and yet you are our saviour. You are the one in whom we find life and forgiveness and joy and delight. And you invite us into a deeper experience of that. But that's not without cost. Uh, Lord, if it will bring more glory to you and a greater clarity of you in our life, take us to places where we have shut and bolted the door please take us to places where because of the safeness of your love we can be unsafe and may we find brothers and sisters in Christ that we can do that with and become a people who continue to be transformed, who are not just waiting for your return but begin to see the transformation that will be complete in the new heavens and the new earth. We ask this for your sake. Amen.